what? We finally got the 2024 Messy Reformation Conference on the schedule. Block off your calendars for April 15th through the 17th, 2024. The theme for our first ever conference is Courageous Leadership, with a particular emphasis on what courageous leadership looks like in times of Reformation. In our current Reformation, the CRC needs leaders who are willing to stand firm in their convictions and lead their churches, classes, and denomination with courage and boldness. We've designed this conference to help equip, encourage, and paint a vision for what that courageous leadership will look like wherever God leads us. To find out more about this conference, or to get signed up right away, head on over to themessyreformation.com. Don't wait to get signed up. We need people to get signed up as soon as possible to get a handle on how many people are coming and what to expect, so don't wait. And don't miss this opportunity to equip yourself connect with fellow leaders, and be part of this messy reformation in the CRCNA. As you know, whenever reformation has happened in the history of the church, things get messy and courageous leaders are needed. That's why we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church, find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment to click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. It's also important for you to know that you are our marketing plan. We rely on you to spread the word about what we're doing at the Messy Reformation. We rely on you to share our content. We also rely on you to give us five-star reviews and provide good feedback for this podcast so that the algorithms push our content further into the world that needs to hear what we're saying. You are the marketing plan, and we believe we've placed our marketing in good hands. You can also support us financially on Patreon or Substack. All the money raised is used to fund online hosting and build the platform of the Messy Reformation. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part one of our conversation with Victor Larman. So, Victor, why don't you uh, kick us off? Just tell us a little bit about yourself and your church and your family. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I just want to say first, thanks for having me on this podcast. Um, I've been listening to a number of these podcasts and it's great to be a part of this. So my name is Victor Larman. Uh, I serve as the pastor of Collingwood Christian Reformed Church in Collingwood, Ontario. That's uh, for those who aren't familiar with the geography of Ontario. It's about an hour and a half north of Toronto. Um, on the shore of Georgian Bay. So we've got a beautiful ski hill and the largest freshwater beach right beside us. So it's a really, really beautiful place to be. Um, I pastor a small, smaller congregation, I would say, uh, around 60 people on a Sunday morning, uh, but really great congregation. Fellowship is good. The worship's good. Um, I appreciate the people deeply. Yeah, and it's great. Um, I'm also married to Chelsea, and we have five kids. Our oldest is 11, and our youngest is five, or four, sorry. And uh, yeah, I myself grew up in Ontario, uh, near Stratford, Ontario. I'm the youngest of seven. I've got five older brothers and one sister. And uh, my wife, interestingly, she did not grow up in the CRC. She's not Dutch. She's, She's from the state, so she's now a dual citizenship as dual citizenship. And, uh, yeah, we met at Redeemer university and, uh, we had to navigate a lot of issues. I came from a reform background. She came from a Baptist background, but it was great. And, uh, 
We have a great relationship. Yeah, that's about sums it up. Yeah, awesome. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your call to ministry? Uh, did you always want to be a pastor or did that kind of come out of the blue for you? I think when I was really young, so I grew up in church. Um, when I was really young, I, I had this idea, like I'm talking five years old. I had this idea of seeing myself as a pastor and then that disappeared for quite a while. Uh, when I went through high school, most of through high school, I thought I was going to be a medical doctor, uh, medicines in our family. My dad, uh, practiced as a veterinarian and I thought, Oh, that would be, I love, I love science. I thought I want to help people. Let's become a doctor. Um, then actually through high school, uh, I don't know if you remember, there was a program at Calvin Seminary called Facing Your Future. I think they mm -hmm. still have something like that by a different name. But uh, my pastor and youth pastor had tapped me on the shoulder uh, and said, eh, maybe you should check this out. And it really, for those who don't know what Facing Your Future is, it's a, a month-long program for uh, high school students, grade 11, grade 12, uh, in the summer to help them develop Christian leadership, I would say. Not everybody who goes there is on the track to becoming ordained in ministry, but the idea is to develop Christian leaders. Um, and it was partly, I had that option in high school. And at the same time, I wanted to go on this mission trip to help uh, uh, in the medical field. And it was like, I don't know, as a high school student, I was, uh, my faith was uh, coming alive in, in new ways. And I was praying to God, well, God, you know, if you want to open up this door, then maybe that's what you want me to do. If you, if you want to close the door to the facing your future thing, then, then I'll get the hint and, you know, I'll go on the medical trip and well, went to facing your future and uh, yeah, I was really uh, was on fire for the church and for seeing the church engage culture and uh, yeah, lots of things. And since then I've been on the road to becoming a pastor um, and have become a pastor subsequently. Uh, yeah. And it was um, a lot of people in my life confirmed that in me, even from high school. Uh, a lot of parents of friends of mine could really see that and, and were really excited about that. So that was also helpful. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And obviously my, my own pastor and youth pastor could see that in me. And that's why they invited me to go to that program. So since then, yeah, I went to Redeemer, pre-SEM. I knew what I was doing the whole time. And yeah, the rest is kind of history. Yeah. And then when you finished at Redeemer, where, which seminary did you go to? So uh, I landed up going to Tyndale Seminary. That's in Toronto. Um, and I did that. I was living in Hamilton. My wife and I were living in Hamilton and we, there's a number of reasons for that. I, I felt like I had a really strong reformed upbringing and so I was willing to go to a non-reformed seminary. It's kind of a non-denominational seminary. Um, I also wanted to explore, okay, what does it mean to do ministry in a Canadian context? Uh, going to Calvin would be going to the States. Um, mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, but just exploring the Canadian context and also being at Tyndale allowed me to stay where I was. I was heavily invested in the church uh, that I was a part of first CRC in, in downtown Hamilton um, on a few committees. I, I even served on council there as an elder in my 20s. So that was um, awesome. all going on and I could do 
um, go to Tyndale Seminary. Yeah. So what was your experience there? I think you're probably the first person we've interviewed that's been to Tyndale Seminary. So what was your experience in the seminary? Um, I think that I should actually correct that. I think uh, Andrew Bianc, he went there, but it was called Ontario Theological oh. Seminary at that time. Okay. So it, it changed his name. Yeah. So <laughs> I've been listening. Um, but uh, it was a good experience. I, I enjoyed I was kind of in a cohort model there. So I had the same classmates moving through, got to mm. develop good friendships. Um, I kind of like being the, the reformed guy in the room and, and contributing that perspective. I think it sharpened me to, to appreciate where my tradition, you know, our tradition comes mm-hmm. from. Um, but at the same time, uh, to appreciate other uh, backgrounds, Baptist, non-denominational, Pentecostal, that sort of thing. So yeah. it was good experience. Yeah. Awesome. And then did you come straight out of Tyndale into your current call? Uh, no, I didn't. Well, I, I'm trying to remember the timeline exactly of how it all went, but I did graduate. Um, but before I finished up my EPMC, so I did distance EPMC with Calvin. Uh, that's the uh, for those who don't know, that's the program that you have to take to become a Christian reform minister. When you go to a seminary other than Calvin, you have to take a program with Calvin Seminary. So while I was doing that, uh, I started working for an uh, organization called Indwell. Well, at that time, it was called Homestead Christian Care. And mm-hmm. Indwell is uh, an organization that provides a supportive, affordable housing. It's a Christian organization and uh, yeah, it was a great experience. I worked there for four years as uh, my title was uh, a por- apartment support worker. Hmm. Uh, basically, there was two apartment buildings in my neighborhood um, that Indwell owned with about 40 units in both of those apartments. And my job was basically to be there, to be a support to the tenants there. Um, some of them were... Uh, working through or struggling with mental health issues. Some of them were not just needed affordable, supportive housing. So I was basically the front line for those two buildings. And it was, uh, yeah, incredible. Uh, the amount I learned about mental health, the yeah. amount I learned about the navigating the, the benefits of the system and the drawbacks of, of our system, learning a lot about housing and, uh, tenant rights and, and, uh, and landlord rights. And that's actually been helpful as a pastor when I, you know, sometimes hear people are saying, Oh, you know, uh, I'm told that I have to move out. Well, did you know that, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the the landlord tenant board um, doesn't allow your landlord to do that or whatnot. Um, Yeah. So a lot of great experience from there, from there I did after four years, I got a call to Collingwood CRC and I've been here for the last seven years. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, you and I might have to talk more off, uh, off air because we have a, an apartment complex just across the street from our church that sounds similar to what you were working in with similar issues and similar struggles. And so we're doing quite a bit of ministry uh, with tenants over there. And so, uh, yeah, you could, you could probably help me out. So, but we won't yeah. have that conversation on it. No, it's, it, it's a huge need though. I um, really, one of the things that I learned from Indwell is housing is more than half of 
the solution to uh, what a lot of people are facing. Yeah. Um, and when people have a safe, supportive place that they can live, a lot of the other issues that they have um, get worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, it's a big deal. And uh, and then the connection with mental health in that too just makes things really complicated, right? It, it puts things yes. in a lot of complicated situations on how to move forward and and how to minister properly and how to meet needs properly. It uh, it gets really complex. Yeah, and, and understanding mental health, it's not like you're mentally healthy or mentally ill. Uh, I've learned to see that too, is it's kind of almost a continuum where you can you can be somewhere in the middle. And I, and I feel like a lot of people have a lot of issues that, uh, including myself, that some days you're not as healthy and some days you're more healthy. Um, so a lot of learning there. No. Oh, yeah. Victor, that's a good note. Um, I'm wondering since you have, you know, quite, quite a, a history in the Christian reformed church. Um, you've been in the Christian reformed church most of, if not all your life. Is that correct? Yeah. All of my life. Gotcha. So you've kind of seen, you know, some of the hills and the valleys in the CRC. And I don't know, as as we sit right now, what would you kind of say are some of the, the greatest strengths of the CRC as you've seen it and as you've been involved in the denominational level? Kind of what's your take on that? Yeah, great question. Um, I think we have a lot of strengths. I've always been, uh, if proud is the right word, to be Christian Reformed. Um I think we have a solid confessional foundation. Uh, and I, I grew up, when I was growing up, uh, the confessions were really central, uh, part of our evening services, that kind of thing. So I grew up learning about them. And I think that's such a solid foundation. Actually, I didn't realize how solid of a foundation it is until um, more recently. Uh, and I take a lot of those things, those truths for granted. And and I realize that not all traditions have a solid foundation that they were raised in, or or catechism. What a blessing catechism is uh, mm-hmm. to to have that. So that's one. I would say that another thing that um, well, our confessions are not unique to the Christian Reformed Church; they're more broadly reformed. I think what the Christian Reformed Church also excels at is understanding worldview mm-hmm. um, and seeing. The way if I, I've always seen it, you know, Kuiper's, Abraham Kuiper's part of that. There's not a square inch in all of creation over which Christ does not say mine. Um, but I think it's bigger than Kuiper as well. This, this understanding of the whole world under Christ's dominion um, and the idea of the priesthood of all believers, you can serve Christ in all different professions, doing all kinds of different things. I wasn't, you know, serving Christ less working for indwell than I am as a pastor. Um, but I do believe that God has placed that specific calling of pastor on my life. So that's why I moved on. Um, and tied, tied with that is uh, Christian education. Another thing, you know, so I grew up going to Christian elementary and high school and well, Redeemer University. So Christian education all the way through. Um, in my own family, my uh, grandparents were instrumental in starting the the Christian high school in London. My parents were um, some of the initial meetings for planning Stratford District Christian School happened in my house or where my parents lived before I was born. My family lived before I was born. And um, 
I, I look at that, the worldview and Christian education go hand in glove, so to speak, because the way we do Christian education, it's not just having devotions at the beginning of the day. It's seeing how every subject uh, relates to our faith and is a way to, to see and wonder who God is and also to serve God through those areas. Amen. So that's kind of like a, an all of Christ for all of life kind of worldview, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and you know, even um, the worldview of how we, we see the Bible, creation, fall, redemption, new creation. I feel like that's part of our worldview. I feel like that terminology, I don't know exactly where it originated, but I think it's from the Reformed tradition. But I see a lot of other Christian traditions adopting that terminology. So it's like, Paul, oh, look, we, we've offered something and uh, other, other Christians are seeing how rich that is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, um, I think you're right. I think it's been one of our strengths and it's something that we need to, I think, continue to double down on. Um, and, uh, and I see a lot of the opposite in some ways too. I, I've noticed more and more churches um, more CRC churches that are kind of saying, well, I mean, we don't need to be in this holy huddle in our Christian schools. I mean, we really should be, you know, they're almost having more of what would stereotypically be the RCA conversation on mm-hmm. this. We need to be missionaries in the public school and, and be involved there. And yet what people miss, I think, in that is, is the whole idea that you were talking about of worldview mm-hmm. that, uh, um, we're not, we're sending our kids to Christian schools because we're wanting to shape their worldview. And, uh, or another way to say it, and it's something I've been thinking a lot about lately is, uh, I recently read Tim Keller's book, um, how to reach the West again. And, uh, it's a, it's a short little pamphlet. I encourage anybody to get it. Um, it's like 60, 70 pages or something like that. But uh, in there, he, was t- he talks about the importance of counter-catechesis. And so yes. not just catechesis, but counter-catechesis, uh, which is countering the, the religious worldview of the culture. And, uh, and so another way of saying that is reshaping someone's worldview according to God's word. And so one of the things that we see Christian education doing is a, a heavy load of that counter-catechesis. Um, not just teaching the same things from the world and with and sprinkling a little Jesus on top, but but saying this is what the world is saying, but here's what we know is true, and constantly kind of shaping and molding people's worldview. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I would say that it's possible to uh, absolutely many Christians do send their kids to a public school intentionally knowing that this will be extra work because we're going to have to do a lot of, of that foundational worldview stuff. Uh, I, I don't knock Christians who would send their kids to a public school uh, because they want to be involved and because they want to make an influence there. Um, but it don't do it with your eyes closed, so to speak, especially in, in our public schools here. Um, it's just so rampant. Actually, a lot of Christian schools in Ontario are just bursting with enrollment because a lot of people want an alternative to yeah. what's in the public schools. And it's, it's becoming a greater issue. 
I will say, uh, in terms of that countercultural language, that uh, Redeemer University was huge for that in my life. Really teaching um, to be a Christian is to be salt and light in the world, to be a counterculture. It's not that you uh, are avoiding culture. You're not trying to dismantle culture, but you know that uh, culture is got the wrong foundation and serving the wrong uh, masters. And there's lots of idolatry, but what you want to do is take that captive for Christ and, and, and be culture makers, so to speak. So um, yeah, I think Redeemer was a culmination of that worldview uh, understanding that was developed in my life. Yeah. Well, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot lately, just in this idea of uh, counter catechesis, um, not just even in the in the realm of Christian education or high you know, like high school, but just in my role as a pastor as well. And you know, when I'm preaching on a Sunday morning, I I, I should be engaging in some form of counter catechesis, right? And and making it more and more explicit. I've, I've been just noticing that in myself, where I'll be saying like, "Well, here's what Scripture is teaching," but you're going to hear something different over here. Um, right. and, and here's why that's wrong. And what I, I find myself smiling about it because I remember this this uh, comment that somebody had made in seminary, kind of frustrated about John Calvin. They're like, I can't read any of John Calvin's stuff because it just seems like every chance he gets, he just rips on the Pope or rips on the Catholic Church. He's just hammering on him all the time. And uh, what it makes me laugh because what was he doing? He was doing counter catechesis. Right. And that's why he's not necessarily, I mean, he is ripping on them sometimes and he says it's loving for him to do that. But, but the point is he's saying he's, he's speaking to a group of people who've been shaped by the kind of, by the Pope and the Catholic religion for a very long time. They're just ingrained in that worldview. And he's coming every sermon saying, I know you've been taught this, 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 and this, and this, but, but here's what scripture says. And he's molding and shaping and trying to kind of rework the way that they view the world and their faith and how to engage in the world. Yeah, no, I, I think that when I look at my own preaching, that's something that I continually want, need to challenge myself to do. And uh, even if just touch points, naming some of the things, okay, this is what our culture says. And this is how it is the opposite of what scripture says. And, and what scripture says is more robust and true and good. Um, I think I do that probably should do more of that. Um, there's always a lot of challenges as a preacher. You're like, Oh, I really should do more of that and more of that. And yeah. Yeah. And then the danger is you fall into that too far and then you try to include everything in your sermon and that's not helpful either. Right. So yeah, there's always the dance and the balance of preaching well and trying to focus narrow down, but kind of hit what you need to hit. And, um, the funniest uh, critiques I've ever had after my sermon are I kind of always just smile and chuckles and they're like, well, I wish you would have talked about this. And I'm like, yeah, well, I had that in my notes, you know, at one point and decided, no, I don't want to today. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Cause there's about exactly. 50 things I could have talked about and I just decided not to today. Yep. Not for no reason. Right. I just, you know, we, we trust the spirits leading and, and all of that. Right. And, and we're reading our congregation and trying to figure out what they need to hear, uh, oh, hear yeah. from God from this passage. Yeah. Jason, if, if the spirit's not in it, Oh, 
like how could it ever how could we ever do a good job of it, it like i we got to trust that the spirit's pulling the pieces of of what we're saying of what happened to to come into our minds and hearts when we're preaching and preparing for preaching and put out there um i'm sure that the spirit uh is a part of that otherwise we're a lost cause amen well i'm glad you guys both realize that sermons at some point are meant to end <laughs> oh, my con- uh, congregation i serve might uh might wish i knew a little bit better no i'm kidding i've i i stretched the length of sermons when i came here i think they were used to more um 22 minute sermons when i started and i'm i'm about the half an hour mark so it's not yep. not crazy but uh yep yeah they're used to it now after seven years so yep i've I did the same thing. I think our church was used to about 20 minute sermons and I've been stretching it out and we're, I hang, I like to hang around a half an hour. I don't like to go much over a half an hour, but, but a half an hour right. gives you just a little bit more time to work and to kind of lay some foundations. And I think that's, uh, yeah, that's really important. it's right. Like if you go too long, then it's more likely that you'll say something that you regret later. <laughs> but if you don't go long enough, you can't unpack what the word is saying and, and applying it to, to our lives. So, yeah. Yeah, I've been uh, reminded just recently, uh, just numerous times in the last few weeks when I've been preaching of just the way that the Spirit works that I never would have imagined, right? Because as I'm writing my sermon and I'm writing out application points or whatever, I mean, I've got people's faces in my mind, right, in my church, and I'm thinking, okay, this is going to, you know, uh, impact them in this way, and this is going to impact this person in that way, or sometimes this person is not going to be happy about what I'm going to say here. Right. Or, and this person's going to find comfort here or whatever. Yes. But I think that's multiple important. Times, yeah. Multiple times over the last few weeks, I've had somebody come up to me and say like, wow, that really was, that was really helpful. And it applied to my life in this way. And I was like, Hmm, never <laughs> would have thought of that. That's a really great application. I never in my life would have ever thought about applying it in that way. But, uh, I'm thankful yeah. that the spirit was doing that for, for that work for me and in you. Yeah. Or if uh, you got to love it when you have like some line that you said that maybe you didn't even plan to say, and it's just, it's, it's a minor thing. It's not your main point. And then that grabbed someone's attention and spoke to them. And it's like, okay, you got to trust the spirit knows how to apply exactly what needs to be applied to each heart. Um, and it's an amazing process. Uh, if Christ and the Holy Spirit weren't in preaching, um, yeah, it'd be something else, but it wouldn't be as good. Amen. And I want to, I want to take that and maybe go in a direction you might not be expecting fully, but I'm, I'm sure you're up for the conversation because I think this connects with, um, you wrote an overture to Synod last year, right? I, or did that come from you? No, I didn't write an overture. You did not write no. Oh, oh no, that was somebody else. Never mind. You spoke, I think, in favor of of the of, of the overture, um, and, but maybe I'll go in a different direction then. Oh, which uh, was that? Uh, 
the about overture. virtual church, right? Oh, uh, did we yes. have a long conversation about virtual church, Allison? Yes, we had a very long conversation about that. Yes. Well, and I think and, Victor and I did outside of Synod as well. So that's why I was thinking he wrote the overture. Oh, I'm, I was very passionate about that overture. Uh, it came from, so my cousin's husband, uh, Rafiq Camel, is a pastor at Wyoming CRC in Ontario, uh, Wyoming, Ontario. And uh, that came from uh, the congregation he serves. And uh, yeah, no, I spoke to that. I think I spoke twice on the floor of Synod. I yeah. don't like to speak too often, and that was one of the times. Yeah. So I, I, maybe we'll just dive into that a little bit, because uh, I, I remembered you being passionate about it. And, uh, and, uh, and so, you know, the overture that came to Synod was asking Synod to declare that a virtual church is not a church, uh, or a church that is solely held virtually and not in person is not a church. And so... Um, I think part of the reason that came up is this recognize even some of the interacting with preaching and, and how can you, how can, that's why I thought of it, but you yes. know, how can you, how can you preach to people that you, you're not engaging with? There's something that actually happens when we're in uh, each other's presence. Well, I think it's part of what you said too, Jason, right? You need to know your congregation and having people and their real life situations that you know forefront on your mind when you're preaching um, or at least anticipating what kind of questions might they ask uh, what what can you assume as what they know you know in your congregation what do they not know where do they need to be pushed um, yeah no I this it's a weird phenomenon even putting sermons online we we actually don't have our sermons online because early on in in uh, COVID, we moved to Zoom uh, to have online services that way to interact and engage so we could see each other and, and talk and stuff. And we're small enough to do that easily. Um, and we never, so there's a component that's still going on for our church that you can connect on Zoom. So we don't have them on YouTube or anything, but it's just, gotcha. when you listen to a, a sermon on YouTube or you're preaching and it, just goes out there um you can't possibly anticipate who you're speaking to or what or how they'll hear you or that kind of thing um yeah it makes it so much more difficult and it's a weird thing it was a i remember because so we did do um oh there's lots of reasons why but we did do um for the for the short time that we were shut down during covid um, we did just live stream, soul live streams, and uh, we put it out on Facebook and on our church website. And um, I remember getting done with those services and being completely exhausted because <laughs> there was no personal interaction. There was no, you know, there's, I don't know if everybody's this way, but I have certain people I can look at and kind of get reads as I'm preaching and you get feedback and you're like, Hey, they're, they're engaging. All right. I, I've got them or, or, Oh, they're falling asleep. I, I need to do something, you know, <laughs> like there's, there's, you're interacting with people, but it was like this cold eye of the camera where you had no idea right. what was going on. And uh, it just sucked the life out of me. Right. Yeah. And I think the whole virtual church too, it's uh the idea of, of sitting at home and, and watching a service, you know what? I heard like a lot of the, the dialogue. It, we didn't, um, I mean, COVID was tough, but our 
church wasn't like torn in two by it and navigating all that, but there was tensions and, and just the idea of, Oh, you know, we can still be fed, um, sitting on our couch, listening to the sermon online. And, and that terminology doesn't always sit well. Yes. Um, Christ told Peter, feed my sheep. And part of that is preaching, but there's so much more to what's happening on Sunday morning than simply people getting fed, right? Like God calls his people to assemble together to proclaim the name of Christ, to worship him in, in song and word. And uh, it's, it's a whole communal event. It's not a consumer event. It's not a performance. We are gathered to, together. That, I mean, that could be another strength of the CRC that I could name um, compared to maybe a lot of other evangelical churches where it's like, doesn't matter if you come late um, and when there's songs going on, it doesn't matter if people know them because it's really about the, the front, the people up front who are performing it and everyone else is listening. It's like, um, at least my experience in the CRC is that there's always been robust congregational singing mm-hmm. and we have these liturgies that we, or litanies or, or catechism readings that we have together and uh, some people find that weird, but I think it's cool when you can involve the congregation in the worship. Yeah, yeah, because we believe that it's the body of Christ gathered for worship, right? And so we're engaging in even one of the things that we uh, talk about a lot in our worship classes at Calvin Seminary was that our worship is dialogical, right? So where it's yes. God speaks to us and we speak to God and it kind of goes back and forth. And so it's, and it's not just the people up front speaking to God, it's the whole congregation speaking, uh, speaking to God as we pray to him and as we sing worship to him. And then he speaks to us through his word and we confess and, uh, you know, and back and forth, uh, kind of, a an action. And that's uh, really important. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we minister to each other too. I mean, the people sitting in the, the pew or the, the chairs or whatever, you see each other, you're encouraged by someone who seems to be, uh, for lack of a better term, lost in worship. You can be drawn in by that. You can, you know, a smile that you give to someone else or or the opportunity for someone to say, hey, how are you doing? And you know that they actually want more than, oh, I'm good. You know, they want a real answer. That's ministry that's happening. And, and when you can pray with people, that all of that stuff happens on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we lose that in a, in a virtual quote-unquote church. That's all we have for this week. If you want to help us out and support the Messy Reformation, another thing you can do is sign up for our newsletter through Substack. That way, you'll get episodes and summaries sent directly to your email inbox. It will also give us the opportunity to communicate with our audience, which is one of the biggest struggles of a podcast. So head over to the Messy Reformation on Substack and sign up for our newsletter. Now, stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with Victor Larman. But until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.